Father, thank you for everything. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you're kind to us when you don't need to be. Thank you for your love and your mercy that while we were still sinning against you, Christ died for the ungodly. Thank you that it's a free gift, undeserved, unmerited, unearned, but that you've earned it for us. You've given it to us freely. Thank you so much for that. Lord, thank you for my church family. Thank you for everything. Uh, You said apart from you, we can do nothing. So uh, I'm really feeling that this morning. Apart from you, we don't even keep our hearts beating. You're the one doing that. How much less um, can I give a a message that is understandable and clear? How much less can we understand anything if you're not working? So, Father, we ask that you would work this morning, uh, work through what I say, work through the words, um, work through the scriptures that I'm going to be reading. Lord, we love you and we bless you. Amen. A few weeks ago, um, on Saturday night, I was doing announcements, and just before that, I was out here greeting at the door, and someone comes up to me and they say, hey, someone just got hit by a car over here on the the side of the road, a a bicyclist, um, and it didn't look like they were moving, and the the ambulance and all that stuff was pulling around them. Um, And I said, oh, Bummer, we'll pray for that. So we prayed over there by the door, and then when I got up and did announcements, I heard, I, before that, I had heard of two other accidents that, that Saturday, so two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, that bicycle one, the person did end up dying. The other two people didn't end up dying, but uh, we had prayed for them, and because of that, it, it kind of got me thinking um, about what I would talk about when I got to, when I got to preach. So, I was an EMT, um, emergency medical technician, for five years. Uh, two of those years were in the murder capital of the United States, uh, Stockton, California. Uh, that actually got taken by Chicago um, within the last five, ten years. Um, I didn't see a whole lot bad. I saw some bad stuff. Worst thing I ever saw was a guy got stabbed with a butter knife, which you would, wouldn't think. You know, butter knife, that's weird. But anyways, um, and then two of the years were here in Jefferson, and it got me thinking, you know, we live in a, a broken, messed up, pain and suffering filled world, right? You know that, I know that. I don't know all the experiences that you guys have had, but, but you do, you know, and you don't know the experience that I've had, but um, especially being an EMT, having seen some things. And what it comes down to is this, is everybody's going to die, The ultimate statistic is 10 out of 10 die. 10 out of 10 people will stand before God. And if Christianity is true, which my argument is that it is, um, I'm not going to spend the the sermon on apologetics proving that Christianity is true. I did that last year with two sermons. Um, You can go back and look that up, or there's a million uh, resources on YouTube. But we're going to assume that Christianity is true. So if Christianity is true, then it has something to say about what happens after death. What happens after that person got in the car accident? You guys know, I mean, some of you drive big old trucks, but some of you drive Honda Civics like me, and so as soon as you get on the highway, you are at the mercy of any 18-wheeler. You know, uh, we're going to have a lunch after second service um, talking about the evangelism ministry, and I'm going to be feeding people grapes. You know, you could choke on a grape. Any moment we could go. Do we understand that? Um, our hearts right now could give out. Um, there, there's nothing really stopping that other than the grace of God. And you're probably wondering why I start the sermon on such a dark topic as death, but I promise uh, there's a point. The point is this. In, in a world surrounded by and filled by death, 
there is life. There is eternal life available to us, available to everyone. Not only is there life, but there's freedom, freedom from that fear, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from the fear of the unknown, what happens afterwards, even fear of what's going to happen tomorrow. Am I going to lose my house? Is my family member going to die? Things that we're normally fear, fearful of. But in Jesus, there is peace and joy and forgiveness and love. And the sermon title is called The What, Why, How, and How of Evangelism. And you'll see shortly uh, how all that talk about death plays into that. So if you have your bulletin, at the top there's a paragraph, um, and it's going to show up on the screen for those of you who didn't get a bulletin. Um, The term evangelism comes from the word euangelion in the Greek. Euangelion means good news or good tidings or the gospel. So we'll look at that definition. It says this, The glad tidings of the kingdom of God soon to be set up, and subsequently also of Jesus the Messiah, the founder of this kingdom. After the death of Christ, the term comprises also the preaching of concerning Jesus Christ as having suffered death on a cross to procure eternal salvation for those in the kingdom of God, but as restored to life and exalted to the right hand of God in heaven, thence to return in majesty to consummate the kingdom of God. The second definition is the glad tidings of salvation. Salvation from what? What does salvation even mean? Think about salvation. I'm going to use this analogy a few times. Imagine you're in the middle of the ocean, right? And one of these big old, uh, you know, wicked tuna waves knocks your boat over and, and flips you out and you're, you're there in the water, right? There's a storm. Uh, waves are crashing over your head. You think you're going to die, right? You're terrified. Water starts to fill your lungs. And then you see a light in the distance and the light's coming towards you. It's a Coast Guard helicopter. Some guy jumps out of the helicopter, risks his life, jumps into the water, ties a life preserver and rope around you, and hauls you up to the uh, helicopter. What just happened? They saved you. That person saved you. They rescued you from sure death, right? So when we use the word salvation, that's what it means. God plucking us out from death and putting us over into life. Euangelion also means the proclamation of the grace of God manifest and pledged in Jesus or simply the gospel, the gospel. So glad tidings, good news. The gospel means the good news. And the good news is this, that even though you and I deserve death and condemnation for our sins, Jesus took that death upon himself. That's why we have these crosses all over the place. What happened on the cross? God took our sin. He took the sin of everyone who would ever believe in Christ and put it on Jesus so that he essentially became sin. He was punished for that sin, killed for that sin, and in doing so, suffered the righteous consequence for our sin. Something else happened. It's called the great exchange. It's That's the theological term that people use, the great exchange. Jesus perfect, holy, took our sin. Not only that, but he gave us his righteousness. He adopted us into God's family. So it was a swap, right? He got all the bad, we got all the good. That's the good news. That's the gospel. 
And in that definition above, it says the proclamation of the grace of God manifest and pledged in Christ. Grace of God. Grace meaning you getting something that you don't deserve. Do we understand that? That we don't deserve salvation? We don't deserve to be adopted into God's family? Christianity is not a uh, some moralistic golf club, right? Where we get together and pat each other on the back and say, Hey, good job. You didn't do this or that this or whatever this week. It is a bunch of broken, messed up people saying, I have sinned against God, and he has freely forgiven me. Not because I'm good, but because he's good. Do we understand that? If you have a different definition of Christianity, I would say you have some form of moralistic perfectionism, which really is just not going to work for you. Number one in your notes says, The gospel is the good news that we can be forgiven and accepted by God because of what Jesus did. So that's it. It's pretty simple. The what part of the the sermon, the what of evangelism, that's answered. Um, and I want to qualify it just a little bit. A month or so ago, Pastor Mike was preaching, um, uh, maybe two months now, and he said something uh, in one of his sermons that, that really just made me even more glad uh, to work here to be part of this church family. He said this, there's millions of reasons given by people as to why they're Christians. If you ask a million people why they're Christians, you might get a million different answers. But there's really only one reason why anyone should be a Christian. Because it's true. See, if Christianity isn't true, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are wasting our time here. We are absolutely wasting our time. When we pray, it's a waste of breath. When we give, either to a church or to some uh, foundation or to a person on the street, we are wasting our money. When we come here and gather in the name of Jesus, it's a waste of time. If Jesus wasn't raised, Christianity isn't true. If Christianity is not true, our faith is futile and we have believed in vain, believed without purpose, believed wrongly, and are most of all people to be pitied. People should feel bad for Christians if Christianity isn't true. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, that's where all that comes from. I'm not just being edgy, I promise. Um, but Jesus did rise from the dead. Jesus is king. Jesus is coming back for us. Jesus has established his rule and reign, and it will never be shaken or moved. And despite our sin, he welcomes us in with open arms. Despite our sin, despite our rebellion, he has graciously given us the gift of eternal life, of reconciliation. The term reconciliation, we're going to go into a verse here in a little bit that talks about it. Um, but think about it like this. At, before Christ, we were at enmity, enemies of God, fighting. We were at war with God. That's what the Bible says in Romans. We were, were at war with God by wicked works, by our sin. Jesus came to reconcile us. So we go from fists to hugs. Right? That's how I think of it. You can come up with your own analogy if that one's too weird for you. So that's the good news. And it's true, and it's supremely good. It's better than anything could possibly be for undeserving sinners such as ourselves. And if it's true, it's the best news there could possibly be. Someone once told me one time, uh, they said, you don't have to preach the gospel every time you get up there. And I love that person, uh, but yeah, I disagree. Because uh, what do we have if not for the gospel? 
what do we have? We can talk about prophecy. We can talk about end times. We can talk about a whole bunch of things that Christians disagree on that don't really matter. But if we don't have the gospel, we are spinning our wheels and wasting our time. Martin Luther, the guy who uh, basically sparked the Protestant Reformation, um, he was asked something similar. Someone said to him, why do you preach the gospel of justification by grace through faith every week? And his response, he said, because you forget every week. And don't we do that? Don't we move from, yeah, I'm trusting the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus, for the grace of God. And then we sin, and then we think, oh, man, I've messed up. I've sinned my way out or something like that. And maybe if I'm good, maybe if I'm moralistic, maybe if I I perform better, I'll be acceptable to God. You're not acceptable to God by anything that you do. It's because of what Jesus did. So evangelism is sharing that good news with others, that gift that leads to eternal life with others. Number two in your notes says this, evangelism is sharing the good news with others. Thought I heard a baby crying just now. And I want you all to know that if you ever have a kid or a baby that's crying in here, no one is offended by that. We want that. We want kids here. This, uh, uh, the sign of a healthy, growing church is kids and babies. So please never feel nervous or like, oh man, I have to get out of here. I have to run because uh, I don't want to disturb anyone. If anyone gets on your case, tell me and I'll get on their case. So that's all. So evangelism. Evangelism is sharing the good news with others. Imagine it like this. Uh, you're walking through a desert, Okay and you're dehydrated, you've been out there for who knows, a day, half a day, three days, don't know, Um, but it's hot, and you're thirsty, right? And you see a mirage on the horizon, and you think, okay, I don't have anything else, I'm going to keep trying to walk towards it. So as you're walking towards it, you get about 50, 100 feet away, you see it, oasis, pure clean water, you collapse, you can't get up, there's nothing you can do, you're laying there, you're going to die, Then, someone from that oasis, they see you, and they go, I'm going to go help that person. So they walk over, they grab you, they pick you up, they drink or bring you over to the pool, drop you down, and let you drink, right? And they take care of you, and they restore you back to health. That person, what did they do? They just gave you life. You were going to die on your own if they left you, right? You were going to die. They helped you. They pulled you over and gave you what you needed to live, Evangelism is essentially the same thing. It is giving to someone the thing they need to live. And here's the, uh, here's the issue that I've seen, not only uh, looking out at other people and saying, this is a problem with you, it's saying, this is a problem that I've seen in me as well. Is that once we get uh, brought to that water, right, and then we, we kick our legs up in the hammock and we're eating some dates off the tree or some coconuts, whatever, and, and we see another person wandering in the desert, and they're coming towards the oasis. They get about the same place, 50, 100 feet away, and they collapse. And you see them, and you're like, man, I hope someone goes and helps them. But I'm swinging in my hammock, drinking my lemonade, eating my dates. Sorry. And then you just keep swinging in your hammock. And then you look again, and they're still there, and you're like, man, God, I wish someone would 
save them. Lord, would you send somebody to save that person? And you keep swinging in your hammock. I don't think that Christians want to live that way. It's going to be my part of my contention this morning that if you are a Christian, I'm only talking to you right now. If you're a Christian, there's something inside of you that does not want that to happen. I've seen some of you in action. You, I've seen some of you go and talk to people like that. Go and try to help them and say, hey, there's water over here. Why don't you come over here? And they can reject it or take it. It's up to them. But do you get what I'm saying? I've seen you guys go out and do things like that. I've seen the ministries you guys are involved in. I've seen uh, the good works that many of you have done. And there's something inside of us that rubs us the wrong way when we think, have I done that before? Why is that? I would say the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives inside of you. The Bible says that you are a temple of the living God. God lives inside of you. The Bible also says, I think Galatians 5, that Jesus dwells inside of your heart through faith. When you trust in God, when you trust in Christ, when you trust in the cross for your salvation, what happens is that great exchange happens. God takes your sin, gives you his righteousness. He comes and abides, lives inside of you, and now you think different. You have a different mind, a different heart, a different attitude. You have a new father, a new eternal destination. You are a new creation. And we don't want to live that way. I know that you don't want to live that way. So evangelism is sharing that good news with others. It's dragging that other person to the water. And it's what Jesus did in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That was those four guys writing to us, sharing that good news with us. Here's what they say in the, in the beginning of each of them, Matthew 4, 23. And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the world to, as a witness for all nations. Mark 1, 14, 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Proclaiming, using his words, speaking the gospel, the good news, the glad tidings of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, Jesus brought the gospel. Jesus is the gospel, but he brought the gospel. He's not only the good news, he is the best news. So, why? Why did Jesus share the gospel? Why did Jesus do evangelism? Why do we? Why should we? Why should we share the good news? What reasons are there? I believe there's a lot, but we're going to focus on just the ones that I find to be most impactful or important. Number three in your notes... We share out of love and concern for others. So let's imagine back in the, the desert analogy. You and I, we're the ones out there in the, in the sand, right? Face down in the sand, we're going to die. Imagine no one ever told you the gospel. Imagine you never stumbled upon it in a Bible tract. Imagine you never read the Bible. To understand the gospel, you're going to die, right? And in our case, it's, it's eternal death. In this case, it's eternal death. 
Aren't you glad that someone shared that gospel with you? I'm glad someone shared with me. Um, I was a punk kid, annoying teenager that would fistfight kids at youth group, and yet they still shared the gospel with me. Philippians 2, 4 through 8 says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's a couple things I want to highlight there uh, just in passing. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When I said, if you're a Christian, you have a new mind, this is that new mind. It's also referred to in uh, Romans 12, which says, be renewed, be constantly renewed. That renewal, that's God. He's the one that's done that in you. But the primary thing I want to focus on is uh, verse 4. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. When I worked on uh, the ambulance here in town, we got a call for a, uh, for a house fire. And uh, the, the paramedic that I was working with, uh, he was a firefighter and I was an EMT. And actually what had happened is that our fire rigs, they had gone off to another fire, I think on I-5. So they were far away and they were busy. Um, so we get to, the, to that house fire first. What had happened was the car caught on fire, something with the battery. It caught the carport on fire and that started swallowing and engulfing the house, right? So the, the paramedic with me, let's call him uh, James, that's not his name, but we'll, we'll call him James. Uh, I had had long conversations with him about Christianity, about the gospel. He rejected it, um, but we had had those conversations, and I mean, we were friends, we are friendly. Uh, and we get to this fire, and we see a guy on the outside of the house, and he's running around the house, banging on all the windows, banging on all the doors. And, uh, and so we get out and we go, hey, what's going on? And he goes, my sister, my sister Sarah's in there. My sister Sarah's in there. You have to help her. I can't get in the house. The, key, the door is locked. And he was trying to bust down that door. And, and we tried to bust down the door. And I, I looked over at, at James and he looked at me. And like I said, he's not a Christian, right? I am a Christian. So if I die, I'm going to burn to death and go to heaven. Right on. You know, it's going to be cool for me. Um, but I look at him. He looks at me. What we weren't supposed to do is go into the house. We didn't have um, the self-contained breathing apparatuses. I'd never even been trained on them. He had been, but I hadn't been. Um, and actually, what's funny right now is that the lieutenant um, of Jefferson Fire, when I was there, he's in this room right now. I don't know if he knows this story, but now he does, so please don't get mad at me later. Because um, <laughs> I was not supposed to do this. I look at him, he looks at me, we grab a barrel, throw it through a window, grab another barrel, put it next to the uh, window, and then he goes, you climb in. Here's the thing. He was the skinny guy. I was the fat guy. I don't know why I'm the one that climbed through the window. Like, and I just came to that realization last night. Like, why did I climb through the window? Like, he's, he would have had a much easier time. So I climb in. I'm cut on my face and on my arms, and I'm going through the house yelling, Sarah, Sarah, there's smoke this far from the ceiling. So I'm walking down like this, banging on all the walls, saying, Sarah, Sarah, try not to smoke, or try not to uh, choke on the smoke. Uh, I go open the door for, for James. We walk through the house. We split up. We check everywhere. She's not in there. Thank God her car was there, but she was actually somewhere with a friend. But the point is this, is that we were both willing to risk our lives, kind of stupidly, but still risk our lives to save someone else's. 
We were willing to risk our lives to save someone else's, even for the chance that she could have been in there. We were looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. I wasn't being that selfless. Like I said, if I die, I go to heaven. Peace out. I'm going to have a good time. For James, that'd, that'd be way more terrifying for him. He doesn't know what's ahead of him. So then, I also want to focus on uh, verse 6. Verse 6 says, Who, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So I want us to think for a second about what Jesus did for us in coming to earth, in coming here and dying on the cross, okay? Think of how perfect and beautiful and unblemished, and unstained, undirty, just how awesome heaven is. Like, just think, how high, how high is that? Like, really high up here on, on whatever scale. It's really good, right? And then, think of how vile and awful earth can be. It's not always, um, but think of how it can be. Think of the worst things that you've seen. That's all the way down here, right? Jesus left the safetyness, or Safetyness? Safety. <laughs> I was public schooled. Please forgive me. Uh, he left the safety and cleanliness. There's going to be some uh, teacher, some public school teacher. I'm sorry. Please don't hate me. <laughs> Guys, you're distracting me. Okay. So he left the safety, cleanliness, and holiness, and perfection of heaven, his kingdom, and came here lowly, dirty, born in a manger, shared his first bed with animals, was despised, mocked, called a bastard by his enemies, and ultimately tortured and killed. He is the supreme being, the ultimate good, the standard of truth, goodness, and righteousness, and love, and he left all that is good to enter all that is evil. Why? So that he could bring you the good news. So that he could give you life. He left the oasis, went out and picked you up, and brought you to the water. He did it so he could look to the interests of others. If you are a Christian, I know that you have this innate desire inside of you. I know you do, because I know that God's Spirit lives inside of you. You have a new heart, a new mind, you are a new creation. Christ abides in, dwells inside your heart. You're not a selfish, self-seeking Ebenezer Scrooge who won't share the good things he has with others. I know that you want to see other people saved. That's why we have 2,000 plus hours at each of our five days of prayer. Because we want to see people saved. Number four in your notes Christians naturally want to see others saved. First John 4, 7-8 says this, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. First John 4, 9-12, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. John 3.16, we could all quote this with our eyes closed, I'm sure. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So here's the equation, right, that's drawn out. God loves. God lives inside of us. Therefore, we love. God lives inside of you. If you're a Christian, God lives inside of you. He loves. Therefore, we love naturally, innately. When you sin against someone, it rubs you the wrong way. I know it does. And you think, man, I'm such a dirtbag. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Right? When you sin, you're, hurt, you're mean to someone. You, you cut someone off in traffic. You flip them off like Matt Bain or something. You know, that story of uh, him in the uh, drive-thru a few weeks ago. I love hearing stories like that because I know I'm not the only one. You know what I mean? When we do stuff like that, when we sin, it rubs us the wrong way. Because God lives inside of us. We have a new heart and a new mind. And the vast majority of the time, we aren't laying down our lives to share the gospel, to love someone. Right? Uh, John fifteen thirteen says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So, like I said, the vast majority of the time, we aren't laying down our life to share the gospel. But what better way to lay oneself down than to share that good news of eternal life with someone? Our friends, our co-workers, our families, our enemies, the people that, that don't like us, the people in our spheres of influence that God has placed you in specifically to reach. We can love those people by giving them the best gift, by giving them the best thing. And if Christ can humble himself from the throne of heaven to the manger in Bethlehem, if he can cross that distance, can't we humble ourselves to cross the street, to share the gospel with our, our neighbor or our coworker, or our, our grandpa, our grandma, someone in your family that doesn't know Jesus. To even just start a conversation, to write them a letter, to do something, anything, do something. Number five, we share out of duty and obedience. We share out of duty and obedience. So James, my paramedic friend, it wasn't his duty. He was actually being disobedient by going into that house. So was I. But we did it because we felt a greater sense of duty, not to Jefferson Fire District, but to our fellow man to go help that person. The Great Commission... Co-mission. Co, meaning together. Mission, meaning job or something to do. So working together. Co-mission. The Great Commission. The, the church that I grew up in, uh, in Central California, hold your tomatoes. I know that we don't like Californians here. But the, uh, the, the church had on the, on the back wall a big banner about the size of that wooden block. Um, big banner that had this verse written on it. And here's what it says. And Jesus came to them and said... All authority on earth, on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the church I grew up in, the church that I got saved in, had that. Every, every week that we would walk out, we would see that, we would read it, and we'd be reminded it is our job as Christians. There's a huge misconception. I don't know where it came from, probably Satan, that it's the pastor's job to share the gospel with people. It is, in one sense, but it's not only the pastor's job to share with the gospel with people. It is the pastor's job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that you take the gospel wherever you go. You talk to someone, you're the one that's going to share the gospel. There's people in your life that I will never meet, that Mike will never, ever meet. Our spheres of influence are only so big, right? But it's your job to influence those people in your sphere of influence towards the gospel, you're the one Jesus is talking to when he says, go and make disciples. You're the one Jesus says to teach them. Not only that, but he, he doesn't leave you alone. He says, I'm with you always. I am with you always. Why? Because again, he lives inside of you. John six thirty eight through 40 says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Lose nothing to save people, to rescue them, to rescue from our sin and our punishment. And verse 40 says this, For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Number six in your notes says, we share out of concern for their eternity. Revelation 20, 11 through 14 says this. This is what's called the great white throne judgment. This is what happens at the end of time or at the end of, of this time. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And before we read verse 15, I know a lot of that stuff sounded mystical and weird. There's a throne, there's books, there's Hades and, and death, and we don't need to talk about that. You can do a Revelation Bible study if you want. Here's this next verse is what I want us to understand. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life... He was thrown into the lake of fire. I know that you don't want that for anyone. If you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you don't want anyone to be thrown into the lake of fire. Why? Because God doesn't want anyone to be thrown into the lake of fire. It is not his desire that any should perish, but that all come to a knowledge of the truth that leads to eternal life. That's why God made provision for everyone to be saved. That's why God made the gospel, the good news, from death 
to life from the lake of fire to the new eternal city of heaven. Revelation 21, 1 through 8, this is immediately after it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from hev- out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and he will be their people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Don't you want—I know you want that. I don't even have to ask. I was going to say, don't you want that for people? But I know you want that for people. Not only for ourselves, that's a given— for those of us who are Christian, but for those who aren't, we want that for them. We want that for them. And verse 5 says this, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the water of, from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Five days of prayer is coming up, and each of them is focused on on a different area, but what it ultimately comes down to is God save them. God save Jefferson, save Oregon, save Salem, save the United States, save them. God save them. Us pleading, the, the prayer request, the, the prayer letter that goes out that we hand out or that we, you know, fill the cards out for. Ha- I read it, half of them are you guys asking for your family members to be saved. We don't want this for other people. We don't want the lake of fire for those people. God doesn't want the lake of fire for those people. But all that prayer ultimately is for nothing if we don't open our mouths, if we don't share the gospel with someone, if we don't write it down, send it in a letter. That's what Paul did. That's what most of the New Testament is. He wrote it down and handed it to people. He also spoke. Great. If you're an extrovert, say it to someone. If you're an introvert, write a letter. Romans 10, 9 through 17 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No lake of fire, no eternal death. That uh, helicopter from the Coast Guard, they save you. Out of the water. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's that provision. God made, provided for everyone to be saved. Verse 14. Now this is where it gets pointed towards you and towards me. He says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Back up to verse 14. Just that that last line there. It says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are are they going to hear the gospel without us sharing? In some way, a letter, using your words, a Bible tract, something. Go to verse uh, 17 there, please. It says, So faith comes through from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It's good to, to do merciful acts to people, to feed people, to help people. It's good to do those things. But ultimately, the gospel comes through words. And it's our job to share that good news. Otherwise, they will never hear and be saved and will be on their way to the lake of fire. Who knows? Maybe it's your words that will pluck that person from death to life. First uh, Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says this, This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Verse 7, or not verse 7, sorry, number 7 in your notes, it says, We share out of gratitude for what God has done for us. You guys are lucky. Last night I went like 20 minutes over on the sermon, and I cut so much to try to— I don't want anyone to get mad at me is basically the thing. So I cut a lot out. Not, nothing, nothing too— good. It was mostly ramblings, which you've got some of as well. So count yourself blessed. Anyways, 2 Corinthians 5. Um, all of these scriptures are in your notes underneath each of the things. So if you want to go back and look them up later, please feel free to do so. Um, so 2 Corinthians verse 5. I've referenced this verse or this passage a whole bunch of times. You'll see. It says this, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I want you to keep in mind these, this idea of persuading, of pleading, almost begging, um, that, that it sounds like. It sounds like we, Christians, are begging, and later on it's, kind of, it's interesting. It almost sounds like God is pleading with people to be saved. Verse 14 says this, For the love of Christ controlled us, controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Remember the great exchange? One has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You know what that verse says about you? Old Brandon is dead. Old Michael. Old other Michael. Old Ron. Dead. That person's gone. New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. From God meaning a gift. From God meaning given to you. Not something that you have earned yourself. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry, to minister, to help, to to give something. Like when a, a nurse gives you medicine, they're administering it. Minister, same root word. The ministry, to give away reconciliation. God offers reconciliation to everybody, and it's your job as a Christian to take that reconciliation and go give it to other people. 
verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal. God making his case. God saying, be saved. You don't have to die. You don't have to go to this lake of fire. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And this next verse is probably one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It says, for our sake, he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake. Did you deserve it? Nope. Did I deserve it? Less than you did, I'm, I'm sure. He made Christ perfect, holy Christ, to be sin. Though he had no sin, so that in Christ we would become the righteousness of God. That's that great exchange. Do you understand, Christian, that if you are indeed a Christian, you are the righteousness of God? If you disagree, take it up with that verse, because I don't know what to tell you. It says right there, we might become the righteousness of God. We're going to wrap up the why section um, of this message with a story. Uh, Two stories. When I moved here from Central California, I was involved in ministries and stuff over there. Um, Homeless ministry, I was involved in some evangelism stuff. And, uh, and then I moved here and I had nothing. I didn't have a church. I didn't have people to do evangelism with. I didn't even know where people hung out to go to talk to people. I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew that I wanted to see people saved. I was convinced that Christianity is true and therefore there is heaven or hell awaiting and I don't want people to go to hell. So I'm going to take them the good news. That was my, the, the reasoning, but I had no idea what to do. I had no idea what to say. Um, I had, <laughs> I was like, what do I do? I have no idea. So what I did was I went online and bought a hundred Bible tracts and went to downtown Albany um, and just started walking around asking people. And by asking people, I mean I was shaking like a leaf. I was like this. I was petrified. And I was like, hi, can I talk to you about Jesus? You know, that's exactly how I sounded. I was petrified. So if you're scared, believe me, I was scared too. Um... And then someone uh, at the church that I was then going to, they said, hey, you know, you seem to be doing this all alone. It seems like you're having a rough time with it. Maybe you should get involved with uh, the gospel guy. And I was like, what's the gospel guy? They're like, oh, these crazy guys that go tell people about Jesus in downtown Salem. And I was like, awesome, I'll go do that. Um, and so that was six years ago, and I went, uh, and the guy named Tim, uh, he's about as skinny as this microphone stand, and um, he would be talking to someone, sharing the gospel, and I'd be standing behind him like this, like peeking out just terrified. They'd look at me and I'd hide behind him. You know, I I didn't know what to say, but then after going with them a few times, I said, oh, I I can answer that. I can answer that question that they had. And so I learned. I was trained, not by my, I didn't train myself. Other people trained me. Other people poured into me and taught me how to share the gospel with people. So that's now what I do. That's what I do for JBC. That's what I do for other churches in the area. I teach and train people how to have conversations with people. That evangelism um, lunch that's happening after second service, I know you guys are here first service, but if you live close, please drive back. Um, If you want to hear more about our evangelism ministry and how you can get involved, it's way less scary than you think it is. 
Um, some of you guys know Alice Doughton. She's about this tall, and she is like a lion in evangelism, man. She, she went out, she chased two guys down with me in downtown Salem. Story for another time. But anyways, it was awesome. Um, if she can do it, so can you, right? If she can learn how to share the gospel, so can you. And if that's too, uh, nerve-wracking, then go online. Go online and watch people do it so that when those conversations drop in your lap, you will be ready. And here's, here's a conversation that was dropped in my lap. We went out to uh, Chemeketa Community College. They have this area called the Free Speech Tables uh, where you can just set up and, and talk to people about whatever, you know, as long as it's not like bombs or whatever, you know, dangerous terrorist stuff. But... Anyhow, I make awkward jokes that I think are funny, but that I can tell you guys don't think are funny. That's okay. It's funny to me. So, um, we're sitting there, and I'm with Cole, the guy who's doing evangelism with me, and I see this girl walk in, and she's wearing black from, uh, from top to bottom. She has blonde hair that's partly dyed green. Um, there's stars on her clothes, and there's a pentagram this big, on a necklace, pentagram, you know, the upside-down satanic symbol or Wiccan symbol. Um, and on her uh, finger, she has a, a big uh, snake ring that has two emerald green eyes that coils up her arm. And I see her, and I'm like, oh, man, I want to talk to her. <laughs> and so she comes up, and, and we start talking about the gospel. And I start explaining it about uh, how we're made right with God through what Jesus did. And all we have to do is receive that gift of salvation. And, and, and as I'm talking to her, and, you know, she's like, well, I don't know about the Bible. And I'm like, well, here's why I think that the Bible's accurate. And start going into whatever answers that I had studied for. Um, and as we're talking, this crazy thing happens. She starts believing it. She starts understanding it. She starts going, okay, I can see how that's true. And I'm just like, is this really happening? <laughs> like, I can't believe this. And, uh, and then we get to the end of the conversation, and she goes, you know, I, I want this. I think I want what you're saying. The issue is, is that my dad is an atheist, and my brother, he's dying of leukemia, so that makes my dad even more angry. If there's a God, why is this kid dying of leukemia? Her younger brother, 16, 17. And uh, she said, so I just don't know that I can, I can fully jump in. That doesn't, you know, my dad said he will abandon me. He will cut me off if I become a Christian because he hates Christianity that much. And uh, God gave me an analogy right then, thank, thank God, because I don't, I don't even know what I'd say now, but he said, or, but I said to her, Alyssa, it's like this. You're in the middle of the ocean, right? The waves are crashing over you guys. You, your dad, your little brother, you could die at any moment. You could get on that bus that brought you here to school and uh, you get in an accident, step off the bus, get run over by an 18-wheeler. Who knows? A million different things could happen, right? You could be eating lunch and choke on your chicken wrap. We don't know. We could go at any time. And it's sounding like you're in the water saying, I want to grab on to the Coast Guard's uh, life preserver, but my dad might abandon me. And I said, Alyssa, he's going down too. The best thing that you could do is get in the helicopter and from the helicopter say, Dad, grab the life preserver. Dad, get out of the water. You drowning is not going to help your dad. You drowning is not going to help your brother. But you can be helped. And she goes, okay, I'll think about it. And then she left, and for a month I didn't see her. Might have been two months. It was a long time. And I was praying for her. She went in my prayer journal. I was praying for her. And then, 
few months later, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking back and forth, waiting for someone to talk to. And, uh, and I see this girl walk in with sweatpants, sweatshirt, um, normal looking. And I, I look over, and I'm like, huh, okay. Ah, Alyssa! Right? And she's, she's coming in. She's no more witch stuff that she was wearing, no more uh, pagan things, no more pentagram. And she goes, you guys! And I was like, how's it going? And she's like, I'm a Christian now. And I was like, what? Like, that's awesome. And she starts telling me about how her friend invited her to church. She's reading the Bible. She's trusting Jesus. She's like felt the Holy Spirit inside of her. And I was like, this is amazing. And she's like, yeah, thank you guys so much for coming and talking to me. I'm a Christian now, and I've been talking to my dad and brother about it. Her dad didn't receive it very well. Uh, He was upset, but who knows? Who knows what could happen because of that? Isn't that amazing that God used some punk kid like me that used to get thrown out of youth groups for fist-fighting kids and, and bringing weed into the place to then save someone? Like, is that not bonkers or what? You know, and God made that for you as well. He's, he's given that ministry to you as well, to see people saved. Yeah. So not every story is like that. I'm going to give you one more story where it was not like that. So as I said, most of you know my testimony. I've alluded to it basically uh, grew up in drug houses. Mom was a meth head. Dad was a heroin junkie. I hated Christians. Went to a church. The Christians were nice. I started studying the Bible. Thought it was false. Studying the Bible. Came to a conclusion it's true. Okay, Jesus, you can have me. I'm yours. That, in a nutshell. Um, and one of the guys that I used to do drugs with, his name was Chris. His dad's name was Chuck. And Chuck got liver cancer. And that liver cancer spread to everywhere in his body. And I became a Christian at about 16. So when that happened... I, uh, that church, big old great commission on the back wall, they said it's our job. We are a missional church. We have to be saving people. We have to be doing something. So I said, man, I don't know how to share the gospel with him. I don't know what to say. I'm scared. Um, but I need to do something. And so it was a Wednesday. I remember this very vividly. And I'd gone to their house a thousand times, right? I'd smoked weed with them, drank with them, and and done all sorts of stuff. We were buddies, and then I became a Christian, and then I go to their house, and now I'm petrified. My hands are shaking like this, and they're looking at me like, what's the matter with you? And I'm like, nothing's the matter with me. And, um, and all I, my plan was to say, hey, Chuck, will you come to church with me on Sunday? Right? That's it. That's all I was going to do. Um, and I was too scared to do that. I walked out, and as I'm walking down the street, each step that I took, I remember it felt like there was lead from my knees down, because every step that I took was like heavier and heavier. And I got to this point, and I'm standing there, and I go, any of you ever argue with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Am I the only one? I know Reuben does. Uh, he tells me about it. So it's like God's pulling on me, right, with a rope. And I'm arguing with him, and I'm like, no, I don't want to. I'm scared. I don't want to. And he's like, Chuck could die. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I walk back, and I'm sweating because I'm terrified. And I walk into the house, and uh, it's Wednesday, and I go, hey, Chuck. Um, he's like, hey, you know, you came back. And I was like, yeah. I was like, he, if you've seen someone dying of cancer, he was very, very frail. Uh, very, very sick. And I said, uh, did I say that it had spread to every part of his body? Brain, lungs, spine, everything. And I said, um, hey, Chuck, do you want to go to church with me on Sunday? Um, I don't have a car, but someone will come pick us up because I live just a block away. And he goes, yeah, I'd like that. I was like, awesome. 
So, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I get the call, Chuck died. I had the gospel. I understood the gospel. I was the one in the oasis with my feet up in the hammock, drinking my lemonade, looking over at Chuck and saying, hmm, hopefully he makes it. I don't want that for you. I don't want that weight on you. Maybe you already have that weight. Maybe you feel like you already have blood on your hands. I feel like I have blood on my hands. He grew up in America. He'd probably heard the gospel before. But at that moment right there, I failed Chuck. I know that I did. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want you to feel that way. So, the last part of the sermon is the quickest part. It's the how. How of evangelism. Like I said earlier, some of you are extroverts, love talking to people. Great. Try bringing up something about Jesus. (laughs) Try bringing up eternal salvation. Uh, Someone says, hey, how you doing? You say, better than I deserve. What do you mean? Well, I'm going to heaven when I die, so I don't know. Come up with something. You're intelligent. Um, you could also watch people do it. I, we're going to watch a video here in just a minute of someone doing evangelism. There, I went to Bible college. There are thousands, thousands upon tens of thousands of hours of free content on YouTube that are better than the college education I received. Not that it was bad. It was really good, but there's really good stuff made on YouTube. Um, and there's some, uh, stuff that I can, or channels and stuff that I can tell you about if you come to that luncheon or you shoot me a text, whatever, or just watch this video. So, the how. The how of evangelism. Number eight in your notes says, what to do? Anything. Just do something. Do anything. Open your mouth. Write a letter. There's a a hundred different ways to get involved here at JBC. You could get involved in children's church, telling them about Jesus. You could get involved in Awanas, telling them about Jesus. You could get involved in homeless ministry. Uh, We we are partnered with a ministry called Be Bold Street Ministries that takes food, blankets, all that sort of good stuff, down to homeless camps, uh, prays with homeless people, and if God opens up the conversation, then they have a conversation and witness to him then. There's also uh, what, what I'm part of uh, called Gospel Focus, which is the gospel guy. It's conversational evangelism, teaching us, training us to feel confident and comfortable sharing the gospel. I'm not even gifted as an evangelist in the sense that, like, you know, the, all the lists of uh, spiritual gifts. When I read those and I read evangelist, I'm like, I don't think that's me. I think something else is me. But I'm still called to witness to people. You're still called to witness to people. And I know that some of you might feel like I did. Scared, nervous, I don't know what to say. Do you know how you get past that? Study, learn, listen to someone else do it. Is it important enough? Is it important enough for them to avoid the lake of fire? If you want to get involved in any of those ministries, write it on the back of your card. If you want to come out and do evangelism, you don't even have to say anything. You can stand behind me just like I did with Tim. You just come and listen, and eventually I'm sure you'll see it's not so bad. You could get involved with the uh, sidewalk advocates at Planned Parenthood. Um, There's hope bags in the back that have gospel tracts and little uh, goodies like toothbrushes and socks and that stuff for homeless people in the back against that back wall uh, in the foyer. Uh, that's giving the gospel to someone. People get saved through Bible tracts. Use your words. Ask someone to coffee or lunch or to your house for a barbecue. Do something. Do something. Real fast, I'm going to tell you what not to do also. Don't be a jerk. 
Don't argue about petty, small things. You're a Republican. Don't argue with the Democrat. Just let it go. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, let's talk about the things that are really important. You know, uh, if, you, if you do hand out tracts and you leave one as just a tip, don't do that. You make me look bad. Because they get really mad at Christians when you leave a tip and it's just a tract. Just put some money with it. You know what I mean? Leave it with a tip. Even a generous tip, maybe, because then they will think, oh man, that Christian was a nice person. I'll read the thing that they gave me instead of just throwing it in the garbage can. Don't fight over non-essentials. Don't get into the theological weeds and get all heated over it. And don't be scared. Jesus said he's with you always, and you have 2,000 years of faithful Christian witness behind you of people who have done the same thing, people who have been burned to death in the country that they're sharing the gospel in. Um, That's probably not going to happen here. That hasn't happened here for a very, very long time. But just do something. Start driving the car. Start giving it some gas and see where God directs you. Get involved with something. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that somebody uh, witnessed to us. Thank you that you sent somebody to share the gospel uh, with each one of us. Uh, we don't deserve the gospel. We don't deserve the good news, but you gave it to us anyways, and we're, we're grateful for it. We're grateful for you, grateful for our new heart and our new family. We love you, Jesus. Amen.